This is the companion discussion to Ruth chapter 2. I'm Joshua Savage, producer of the Book of Ruth. I'm joined in these episodes by Elijah DeYoung, recent graduate of Mid-America Reformed Seminary. Elijah has served as a pastoral intern at OPC churches in Joliet, Illinois, and Concho, Arizona. He is currently serving as a year-long intern at the OPC Church in Grants Pass, Oregon. In these chapter-by-chapter discussions, Elijah and I will discuss the narrative and theology of the Book of Ruth. In this episode, we explore the character of Boaz as a man after God's own heart, God's providence in the happenstance of Ruth's faithfulness to God's provision, the Old Testament laws of gleaning, and how God's hased, his loving kindness, bursts forth in this chapter. Well, thanks for joining me again, Elijah. And so where we left chapter one was Naomi has come back empty. Ruth, of course, has made a a life-changing decision to go with her her mother-in-law and to leave the land of her birth and everything that she knows and to convert to belief in Yahweh. But then in chapter two, we have an interesting narrative choice. Uh, We have a choice in in chapter two to begin with Boaz. And I think it's interesting to to compare the picture of the godly man seen in Proverbs chapter three, verses three through six, and see how that fits um, into who Boaz is. So Proverbs three, chapter, uh, chapter three, verses three through six says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So let's start with the question first. Uh, Elijah, do you think this is a fit description for Boaz? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, what other answer is there? Oh my goodness. He is... He's the the man who you want to to be, um, and and of course, like it's dangerous to just say, "All right." Um, as we're preaching this, here's Boaz, be Boaz, because of course we want to be. You know, the the point of Boaz is Christ. You know, like who he points to, who he's acting like. Um, but in a sense, yes, Boaz has, you know, like the like the proverb says, he's bound the law of God around his neck. Mercy and truth are written on his heart. And we see this over and over again. He, he, okay. So first of all, in this, this chapter, he's introduced right away at the beginning and you have this almost a throwaway remark about him. And then he comes back later. And the very first thing you see him doing is greeting his workers with a, a greeting from God. Uh, a, a thoroughly steeped in his faith. He says, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you too. Uh, I might, I might have the word off the wording off right there, but it's a, a faith based greeting. Um, and then what does he do next? You know, he notices this Moabitess, but he, he shows mercy to her. He talks to her and he even asks about her and, and allows her to be under his protection in his field. 
and he follows the law of God with cleaning. You know, he, he says, this has been set out for you, this right. So you take advantage of it and I'll protect you. So yes, he's, he's a wonderful example, but of course the example that we see through him is the spirit working in his heart, changing him, working in him and keeping him true to the law of God. Um, it's not just, you know, we don't want to end here with moralism where we say, all right, look, there's Boaz, be like Boaz. You know, we always have to point to Christ and say, all right, who's responsible for Boaz actually following the law of God? It's God. It's Christ. It's the spirit of God working in Boaz. And yeah. Yes. And the author is giving us a hint because he begins this chapter by saying there is a family member of Elimelech and he's a man of great wealth and his name is Boaz. And what's fascinating, I think about this is we, again, we peel back the curtain. We see more of what God is doing, even though Naomi and Ruth especially has no idea. It's Ruth who says to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. Mm. So it's not Naomi planning this out. She's, not part of this. Ruth says, let me do this. Um, and then we get this amazing word and maybe you can shed some light on this, but we get this word a few sentences later that she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened <laughs> to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So what's yeah. happening here? So no pun intended. Is, oh my goodness. This is just, yeah, divine irony. You have you have the writer of this book, whoever that might be, and he says she happened. She happened to happen. She she chanced her chance. Um, literally, I, I would say uh, happening. She happened is a good way of saying this. Like that's there's no there's no bones about this. They're not being like oh you know she happened providentially. No, literally, this guy is saying the author is saying. She happened to happen. There's no mention of God's providence here, but it's it's sewed into the, the fabric of this. It's, you know, you understand that there is no happenstance. So, you know, some translations say she her chance chanced upon, you know, and it strikes us kind of as funny, but that's really, this is not a, okay, so we see with Naomi these nefarious schemes, right? possibly nefarious we'll settle right now for saying at least horribly misguided um ruth ruth doesn't have this guile god is is present in her she's devoted herself to god and she knows god's law and she goes to the field that um that presents itself to her so to speak. Of course, we know God is leading her by the hand to this field saying, this is where I need you to end up. This is where you will end up. We know it belongs to Boaz because of this aside at the beginning. And, and I meant to say, I should have, I should have mentioned, um, we know how the narrator sees Boaz. We know how everybody sees Boaz because of the, these three Hebrew words that it starts out with. You know, he's a, an Ish Gabor Heil. And this is used at various points throughout the Old Testament to say a very mighty man, a wealthy man, a prosperous man. Uh, this this guy has it going on. Uh, you know, when I when I preached through this, I said, you know, this man is a man outstanding in his field. 
um, which uh, later on he actually is outstanding in his field when he asks about risk. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> but we see something about this man's character. So we know this is good. And then Ruth just happens to show up in his field. There's no way she actually happens by chance. This is obviously God. But also it shows us that she is 100% committed to following God where he uh, he puts her. And it shows her servant's heart and her, her submission to God, her father. Yes, and once again, nothing, nothing planned about this. And I think... Um, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly with how the Hebrew is worded, it seems like the emphasis is on happened. This this yeah. kind of uh, you know uh, probably this amazing thing when when Ruth and Boaz eventually look back on their lives, you know, who knew? <laughs> God knew, but who knew that this field, that this part of this field, is where my kinsman redeemer would be. And we'll talk about kinsman redeeming in, in chapter three, um, because that's, that's again, a core of, of the story and why this is so important. Um, but then we get to these laws of gleaning. And so in Leviticus chapter 19, nine to 10, and, and also in 23 verse 22, God had set out these laws for the, the, the providential care of, his people, the poor, the needy, the stranger. So Leviticus 19, 9 to 10 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Chapter 23, verse 22 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. Mm. So talk about this law of gleaning and, and how this is used in this extremely providential way. I would love to. Let me add on one that I just realized as well. Chapter uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, 19, which says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. Another one. I mean, <laughs> there's the purposeful and the accidental. And of course you have Boaz like walking the line of like purposefully by accident, don't get everything, you know? So you have God preparing the way for uh, the needy in his nation and the needy around him. This is, I think this is a soft way of saying God is preparing the way for the Gentiles too, um, because you have the alien and the stranger who is provided for, uh, not necessarily somebody who's of the assembly or, or of God's uh, national people, but uh, somebody who happens to be in the, the area during the time of the gleaning. Um, and this is for the, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, um, the poor and the stranger. That's like almost every single one of those is Ruth. If you yes. think about it, she's a widow. She's fatherless. Uh, you know, her father-in-law has, of course, died and she's, she's left her people. It's just her. Um, and so, you know, God here takes her place, uh, takes the place of her father and says, I'm providing for you. You know, I, he provides for this widow too. And he says, my, my law 
is here for you, which is amazing because we usually think of law as just like this demanding thing. You know, it's, it's very tempting to get uh, beaten down by it, but at the same time, God sovereignly does, and he prescribes some of these ceremonial laws for the good of his people and to, to lovingly come alongside and say, look, I'm sufficient. I'm, I'm helping you with this and I'm giving you what you need. And that reflects once again, the picture of the godly man in Proverbs three, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Um, it, it comes back to this. What, what is the purpose of the law to love God and neighbor and Boaz? How easy would it have been for Boaz to just forget that one? I, I mean, this is his field. <laughs> uh, th- this is his wealth. He, he is a, is a wealthy person because he is the successful uh, farmer as far as we know. And, and how easy would it have been for him just to forget that law? Um, what, what's it really going to hurt if he takes all of the harvest? But he doesn't. He trusts God. He knows that this is God's law, not because it's this kind of abstract moralism, but because God is a God who loves the poor, the widow, the orphan. And this is meant for them. And so the fact that he follows this law is is profoundly um, beautiful, but also... Yeah. Uh, the fact that, again, he does not trust in his own understanding. He's trusting in the Lord with all of his heart. And of course, this brings them together, provides for Ruth in an amazing way. At the end of chapter two, her mother-in-law is stunned by her carrying all of this grain back, but it also provides in the line of Christ. And you see, you see Ruth taking full advantage of these laws. You know, she's not like, oh, I'll go in and you know, I'm a little hungry, so I'm going to go down and pick up a couple, you know, here and there and bring it back. We'll cook up some dinner. It'll all be good. And uh, she's obviously hungry. And she says, let me go to the field and glean. I, I need to do this to, to take care of our family. And then later down in the, later on in the passage, uh, the foreman is talking about her and he says, so she came and she's continued from morning until now, except for a short rest. Who knows when Boaz like, you know, the exact hour when Boaz shows up, but it's a long time. It's enough that this fellow is impressed. He says, she's actually been working, you know, for goodness sakes. And I think that also brings us to uh, this, the connection finally between Boaz and Ruth. And as we talked a little bit in the overview, it's hard not to read the answer that the foreman gives Boaz about who this woman is, that he keeps emphasizing the Moabitess, the Moabitess. And we talked in, in chapter one about all of that history and, and intense animosity between the Israelites and the Moabites. But I think it's wonderful that when we see Boaz, he, he tells Ruth, he says, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not pre- know previously. Yahweh repay your work and a full reward will be given you by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so let's talk a little bit about what does Boaz see in Ruth, what is drawing his eye to her? Well, we don't really. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it's it's her character. It's not just the outward uh, trappings that that appeal to Boaz. Probably at this point, she was 
uh, a bit a bit dirty, uh, probably pretty sweaty because you've been working all day. And he goes to her and he says, you know, my daughter, stay here, be protected. And it's been told to me what, who you are, what you are. You're, you're obviously a child of God. You're obviously a believer because it's come out in your actions. You're living your, your faith, really. Um, but one thing that always fascinated me was just the fact that Boaz says this beautiful piece to her. He says, he adds in all these details. Uh, he says, you know, all that you've done for your mother-in-law and the death of your husband has been fully told me how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. But we don't really see him being told that earlier on. Is is that something that you've noticed before? It's just like, yes. Oh, and obviously I guess we've done research. Well, and I wonder too, if this might fall in at the very end of chapter one, we see that Bethlehem is murmuring about the return of Naomi. And I'm, I'm wondering if perhaps there's been a lot of gossip happening or there's been rumors of what's happened to this, you know, previous, this previously very, f- you know, full person, Naomi, and who is this, who is this person with her? And so maybe Boaz has been looking out for Ruth um, because he's, he's been struck by this. And I think, along with with Boaz, we do know that he is in the line um, from Perez, which Perez himself, as we'll talk about in chapter four, is coming from a very sinful situation with Judah and Tamar. But Boaz himself uh, has Rahab as his mother, I believe. Um, Rahab married Salmon. And it does it does make you wonder if having that kind of reputation in the land, because everyone would know <laughs> who's, who's Boaz's mom. Well, Boaz's mom is, um, is that, is that prostitute from Jericho. I do wonder if that has had some impact in how he views people that he views people from their heart because Rahab obviously was converted as well. She was converted into, into the, uh, the, the covenant. And so I'm wondering if perhaps Boaz is able to see past the superficial that other people cannot. And so when he sees this amazing woman who is entering poverty, entering into a land she did not know previously with all of the, the whispers of people around her for being a Moabitess, I'm wondering if he's able to see this as somebody who is a woman after God's own heart. Yes. Yeah, I really do think so. I, I honestly, in his wonderful spirit changed character, I see just a depth of perception where he sees Ruth for who she is before God. Um, whereas every okay, it, can we take a second just to talk about like how powerful the gossip like channels in Bethel seem to be? They have like this party line going on. Everybody knows everything about their neighbors. You just imagine them like as Ruth and Naomi kind of like ride into town, they're peering out and they're like, Oh, what? You know? Um, and then this, this foreman knows seemingly everything, but it's always with this subtext of Moabite. Like you said, you know, it's, it's very uh, like just what the, what the eye sees, but, but a, somebody who is uh, changed by God, transformed by God sees not uh, what is on the outside, but what has been done to that person on the inside by God. And I think this is illustrated in in how Ruth herself talks about herself. Before this speech, um, Boaz has approached her and said, 
don't go to any other fields. Stay close by my servant girls. Let your eyes be on the, the field they reap. Basically telling her, I will protect you. I've commanded the young men not to touch you, which would also be very comforting. So she bows her face to the ground. She falls on her face and she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? After this speech, she says, once again, let me find favor in your sight. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, although I am not like one of your servant girls. So this seems to be very evident in Ruth's own mind. You know, she is ostracized in in most every possible way. She's a foreigner. She's not like anyone else. Why is this man taking notice of her? Yeah. She knows that. Yeah. She's not, she's, she's not the majority. She's part of a minority, but then also in that you have an understanding that what is being shown to her is grace. So she says, instead of saying proud, like, Oh, like, why don't, you know, why don't you give me what I deserve? You know, she says, you know, I, I see this grace in you. What, what have I done to deserve this? Please don't stop. And yes. really when it comes down to it, that's how we should all approach God. We, we have to understand that we don't deserve compassion and love. We deserve condemnation and justice. But what we get is beyond anything, like whatever our background, whatever our, our, you know, our own perceived self-worth, when it really comes down to it, we receive 10 times the mercy that Ruth received here from Boaz from God. It's, it's mind blowing. Yes. And of course, then Boaz uh, keeps it up, you know, mm-hmm. let fall some of these things. Um, don't rebuke her for, for gathering these. And, and so there's this, uh, there's this almost funny image um, that Ferguson brings out and also other people have as well of her, you know, st- going back into, into the city and she has this ephah of barley. <laughs> and so Greg, uh, who, who's the narrator of this particular version, brings this out very well. Where have you gleaned today? You know, Naomi is just beside herself. Where on earth could you have gleaned to have an ephah of barley? And of course, then we have the reveal to Naomi. The man that I worked with today is Boaz. And that, of course, unleashes this, this, this uh, turning point again for Naomi, who then praises God. Blessed be him of Yahweh, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and to the dead. This man is a relation of ours. So what can we see in this turning point for Naomi? Uh, what does she see here that maybe Ruth does not yet? Well, I think, I think Naomi's mind starts kicking into overdrive here a little bit. You know, she sees, she, she knows what we know. Ruth doesn't know this. You know, she knows that uh, Boaz is, uh, you know, is a, is a good option. You know, it reminds me of Pride and Prejudice where all the, <laughs> everybody's like, oh, he makes that much a year. <laughs> and Naomi knows this. He's like, oh, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our, our redeemers. Um, and so she, uh, she notices this and there is, there's some, there's a softening of the heart here, obviously. This, this is the setup, you know, this is the, 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 the buildup towards chapter three and her, her bad decision. But Naomi begins to have a softening. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's saying, you know, God is faithful to me 
and to the, the line of Elimelech. She, he's been faithful to even those who he's taken away. And in this, we don't see that kind of implicit accusation that she ended chapter one with. You know, it, it almost seems like this could, like if the book ended here, like we could, we could just assume like, oh, yep, it's all going to work out with Ruth and, and Boaz and Naomi's good. You know, Naomi's had this change of heart. Um, but of course it doesn't end here. <laughs> yes. And you mentioned in chapter one, the, these big words, uh, Shuv is one, but there's another that's Hased. Um, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Ferguson points out that this is where we see that word Hased, and this, he has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and the dead. Um, and so a quote from Ferguson here, who I think puts it rather well, he says, Hased is one of the big words in the Old Testament scriptures. It appears around 250 times and dominantly with reference to God himself. He is a God of loving kindness. When God revealed himself to Moses, he said that he was a God full of Hased, Exodus 34, 6. Not simply love or kindness in an ordinary sense. It means God's deep goodness expressed in his covenant commitment, his absolute loyalty, his obligating of himself to bring to fruition the blessings that he has promised, whatever it may cost him personally to do that. Mm. So is this a good description of Hesed? Well, Josh, it's about as good as you can get. I mean, <laughs> honestly, like I've heard, I've heard countless different sermons where this this word is brought out. It's a favorite among preachers. You just, if the word hesed pops up in your passage, you comment, of course. And usually you try to define too, right? You know, you try to come up with a good definition. But it's so, it's so broad. It's so unique. It's so all-encompassing of, of the goodness of God that it's impossible to get everything. But yes, I think Sinclair does a great, you know, Pastor Ferguson does a, a great job uh, just kind of nailing it down to self-sacrificial love. It's covenant. It's covenant love. And, and for my uh, King James brothers, it's loving kindness. That's such a great word that isn't used very much today. Uh, and it just nails it. You know, it's the, the loving kindness that um, permeates God. Um, and you don't get this. You don't use this term for the most part unless you're a covenant child, unless you're somebody who's steeped in the covenant and you know that this is the language of our God. This is the language that God uses about himself and the language that is used about God almost exclusively. And so her saying this shows more about her than her actual, like the gist of her, of her statement, her, her using this language says, okay, so she knows this is not, you know, she's, she doesn't have an excuse. She, she knows who's in charge, who is sovereign, who's in control. And she's beginning to unpack how even the, the death of her husband and sons can be used in God's faithfulness, used in God's plan uh, eventually. Yes. And so the chapter ends um, with this, this uh, mini conclusion, at least some, some, somewhat of a conclusion to the saga so far. So Ruth stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now will Naomi 
uh, wait for the Lord to work out his, his, uh, his plan. Um, we kind of know the answer already, but we'll, we'll talk about that in chapter three. But I think what is so, so beautifully brought out, just like you're saying, is the loving kindness. We see the loving kindness in chapter one of Ruth, who leaves everything. She is absolutely committed to Naomi and also to the God of Israel. And in this chapter, we're introduced to Boaz and his loving kindness, seeing the spiritual reality of who Ruth is. And so now Naomi is starting to get a glimmer of hope that maybe God will not let her be empty much longer. The Book of Ruth is read by Greg Ball, cover designed by Seth Haller, music by Scott Buckley. You can hear more of his amazing music at scottbuckley.com.au. The Book of Ruth and this podcast are produced by me, Josh Savage. To listen to our recording or read our translation of all four chapters of Ruth, visit our ReadyMag site, linked in the show notes below. Subscribe to our feed on iTunes Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts.